Hello and welcome to another edition of the Capiche Filmcast. Stephen Barry here for another thrilling, tantalising episode of the Bond Dad Project. Ranking Bond continues. We are here to talk about the fight sequences in the franchise. Joined remotely, of course, by my Bond aficionados, Francis Murphy. Yo, yo, yo. Wow, I was very excited. You really like your fight sequences? Yeah, yeah, this is where I feel very much at home. Okay, uh, Steve McCall. An exceptionally good afternoon to you all. <laughs> exceptional, oh, we're all really fired up for this one. And Gordon Webster. Good afternoon, Mr. Barry. <laughs> Everyone's got a little spin on their own intro today, I like it. Uh, yeah, so yeah, we're here, of course, ranking the fight sequences of the franchise. Uh, this is, um, I suppose, a bit of, cro- a bit of crossover here. We're going to probably, you know, this is an element of stunt work as, as part of this, of course. Uh, but we're with a focus on the actual physical fight sequences, traditionally with the henchmen. Yeah, let's, uh, and of course, we're going to not do the, the collective debate where we try and get to a winner. We're just going to have our own favourites and just general discussion on these fight sequences. Let's start with Steve McCall. Spotify. Oh, right. <laughs> let's start with Spotify. Oh, yes. Before... Oh, I'm sorry, but I, I, was, I was just about to say, let's also not um, forget that. Well, I'll do it now <laughs> that it's mentioned. Really, un- un- did you, you did tell me before, if I forget, you to jump in, so sorry, I just and, and I my, felt in, and my, in yeah. my head it was in the end, but like, hell, let's do it now, we're on Spotify. <laughs> no, that's fine, we're on Spotify. Start again. We're on SoundCloud, uh, we've got a Facebook page, we've got the Capiche website, uh, Capiche Online, that's K-A-P-E-S-H dot online. Lots of articles, lots of podcasts, and yeah, all of our, our stuff's there but our main uh, podcast if you're obviously enjoying this go to soundcloud and spotify and the i player the apple apple podcasts yep okay that's the plug for this one uh we'll try and remember that later uh for the other podcasts back to the lists and yeah steve also known now as spotify apparently thanks gordon <laughs> yes spotify mccall <laughs> That's I a... saw it. It's just he told he told me make sure you tell me if I forget. And I thought if I don't jump in now, then <laughs> I don't I just, know. I just love that sort of just random. Just I feel like just a, I feel like just a prick for now for just jumping in there. But <laughs> no, no, that was quite right. It was. I mean, the timing was just beautiful. That's all. Yeah, like who I'm, I'm sitting in a quite calm scene now. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, brutal. <laughs> yep. A nice uh, subtle entrance for. For Danny Boy to the the Bond franchise, there obviously being an audio format, and a nice uh, a nice fight sequence, um, orientated one. So yeah, that's good. Yeah, I wonder good which choice. which one you're going for is your favourite, Fran. Then excellent. Okay, okay, Steve, we'll start with you. Right. So there's, I think there's three I'm gonna kind of mention briefly. Uh, I'll start off again. I'm gonna go with a couple of the the big obvious ones. First one I'm gonna mention is the underwater fight from Thunderball, which I know we all agree was. It was almost a piece of art. It was, I mean, it was very drawn out. But I think for the time, particularly, I get the impression at the time they they kind of just under they just discovered underwater camera work, and thought, right, we may as well take advantage of this. And it's a fantastic scene. It's it's almost completely it's almost completely silent from what I remember. It's just it's all about the action. It's all about the actual fighting. So the the good guys, Bond sides, and the. Uh, taking on the, the sort of enemy side and they're firing sort of harpoons and stuff like that at each other and it just it looks it looks brilliant particularly considering the uh 
the the fact that this was the 60s mm. yeah. um and it's it, it kind of sticks out in my mind particularly as because i mean all bond films are pretty much packed with fight scenes but this one stands out as just watching it and going wow it looks beautiful and it's an impressive piece of technological uh sort of work and it's it is just a great scene um mm. watch people getting taken out left right and center um, yeah, that is that's the one that kind of sticks out for me. So that one's fantastic. Yeah, the music as uh, well was fantastic in that section. Yes, yeah, there was it was kind of subtle from what I remember, yeah. but it just it worked so beautifully. Yeah, um, and on a, I suppose on a similar vein, not quite, but similarly, the volcano fight from You Only Live Twice, which again we've gone on hundreds of times about Ken Adams' incredible set work, and that as a setting for just hundreds, and it was almost like. Every time Bond took out five people, another 50 turned up. It was just people, a sort of Royal Rumble style, people piling in. Yep. And again, it just, it looks brilliant. What you ask, what I suppose you want from a Bond fight scene? Because Bond is constantly getting into fights. But there's just something that kind of elevates it and makes it look great. Whether that is particularly good choreography or good cinema work, or as in the two I've just mentioned, good set work and good location work. Um, so either underwater or in a massive volcano with loads of people, the variety of weapons that's going on in that fight. There's almost there's everything from kind of hand to hand combat to grenades, um, sort of grenades and massive sort of weaponry explosives going off left, right, and centre. So the the full range you're getting to to view, and it's just it's again it's an example of the the producers throwing loads into it but not completely overdoing it. You imagine if. If they tried to, if the makers, for example, of Die Another Day had tried to do that fight, it would have been over the top and ridiculous. But for You Only Live Twice, they've got it absolutely spot on. It looks great, and it's just it's a it's one of those fight scenes. It's it's long, but you can you kind of can't get enough of it. There's so much of it. It's beautiful. Yep. Um, yep. So that's those are the sort of two big set piece fight scenes that really stick in my head. The other one that I just particularly like is the one from License to Kill in the Barrowhead Bar, um, where it's oh, Dalton yeah. and uh, Pam Bouvier. And I think this is, again, I, I, as I've said before, I love the, the Dalton films. And it's as much as he plays a serious Bonds, I like it when they bring a little bit of humour in. And this scene particularly is where it happens, because, I mean, it all kicks off. It kind of goes, it's one of these kind of that escalated quickly type moments. They're all sort of sitting having a drink. And then suddenly everyone is paggering each other except for that one exotic dancer who is still in the middle of the room <laughs> so awkwardly the look on her face is incredible but she's still kind of dancing around exotically trying to look all kind of sexy and stuff like that as yeah. everyone's beating the crap out of yeah. each other yeah. and then when it can't get more ridiculous someone tries to attack bond with a swordfish a massive plastic swordfish which i think goes through sort of spike at the sword sword i suppose if you like the, the sword which goes through the wall the look on dalton's face at that that moment when it brings out it, it, it's, it's <laughs> what the fucking yeah. all right fine bring it on <laughs> yeah you're gonna do that really <laughs> yeah. and it's just it's it's a it's such a brilliant scene and then the, the sort of escape by sort of blowing a hole in the wall and jumping at the speedboat and sort of um putting it off down the down the river or whatever to escape that whole scene i just it was a really enjoyable moment in that film because it's 
it's not a film with a lot of particularly humorous moments and it needs everything needs a bit of light and shade and that's kind of the the light of that film i think for me and, benicio del toro as well steals a couple of little moments but he, the way he pulls his dagger out that sort of over dramatic like sheath yes like, just like kind of quite cool yeah you die yeah yes it's just it's classy it's it's very very cool yeah uh, yeah i love it love it excellent uh yeah so that's your your fight sequences that's my three uh gordon let's hear from you on this well i really love the the fights between bond and a henchman especially bond up against a henchman that's clearly stronger and bigger and the odds against bond so i had to go for one i would say my number one is actually from specter bond versus mr hinks on the train Mm -hmm. now the first thing i love about that is the whole lead up to it bond and madeline are having dinner and it's with the music at that point it's uh the mood just switches very quickly bond sees hinks just approaching the table through i think it's mirrored on 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 something on the table and it's the way the music just cuts hinks just he just puts the table in the air it's just that change of tone and from that point onwards, it's it's like a classic fight sequence between Bond and a henchman that's stronger than him. It's not just a fist fight. I mean, it starts off as one of these ones, again, this escalates. They have like several nods to the old movies, which is great. Bond does, he does the classic, it was Roger and Rue that was especially good at this, like you hold on to a beam and you do a sort of double sort of swooping kick. He does that in Mr. Hinks. Um, he sets Mr. Hinks' jacket in fire. Hinks just sort of like brushes it off as if it's like a fly or something and then obviously they're punching each other it's just quite it's like the bond and trevelyan one in goldeneye then because it's it looks real there's so many fights in the series you could say they they look the odd punch here looks a bit staged or it's a bit cartoonish but it's it's actually it looks like a real fight that you know the sound effects i think enhance that the, and it's the fact like it's not just confined to that one room. They kind of go from carriage to carriage. Eventually, Hinks is actually chasing Bond. He goes into the kitchen car. Like Bond throws a pot at, at Hinks. He throws a glass at him. He, but Hinks is just so big and strong. Everything Bond does to him, it just sort of bounces off him. He just shrugs it off. It's it's really good. And just you know, Hinks is immaculately dressed. He's got like the gold waistcoat and everything. Yeah. And Bond's got the dinner jacket as well. It's just it's they were really going back to let's have a classic. Bond versus henchmen. I mean, we missed that for for so long in these movies. Once we got into the Craigie era, there wasn't really that that big henchman, and Hinks gave us that. I think. I think there's a couple things that let it down. One, the absence of people after after Madeline just first like kind of punched away by Hinks. You know, there's it's like there's the staff that are working the train just seem to have vanished. So there's no one else. They go from cage to cage, and there's no one there. Secondly, the the way it ends, I'm not so keen on. Um, I feel like if, if if Hinks was about to throw Bond out of the train, it's like, would that definitely have killed Bond? Probably would have, but you'd think he would maybe just, you know, kill him with these little thumb daggers or something. But apart from that, I mean, I, I think that that's probably my number one. I think it's just ahead of the From Russia With Love, Bond versus Grant on the train. I think that's an, another brutal and realistic fight. Yeah. And... And maybe, and also up there, Bond and Jaws on the train spy hobby. So basically, man, I'm just going for all the train fights. Also, I've got a soft spot for this. this is actually a fight that doesn't involve Bond, but um, in the Living Daylights, the kitchen fight between one of one of the MI6 operatives and Necros, I think is a the just the, the amount of 
the chore- the choreography, just you know, the pots getting thrown, the fire and all that stuff, the parrot in the background. I think I've got. A, I'm quite keen on that as well. Excellent, good choices there, Fran. Okay, so as per my background image, probably one of my absolute favourites is the opening scene fight in Casino Royale. Yeah. Again, though, it kind of bleeds into the rest of the movie because there's the scene where he's fighting with the African dictator guy in the hotel. Casino Royale, when the guy turns up and they have the fight in the stairwell. And it's just brutal. Yeah, I think absolutely maybe, something out of The Sopranos, that. Yeah. I mean, I think in a Bond film, maybe for the first time, really, in a modern way, you got to see... It was almost like the Bond version of, like, Saving Private Ryan or something like that, in the sense that war films were glamorous and action movies, really. And then you started to get films that came out that showed you... And obviously, um, Band of Brothers as well showed you, like, the horror and realism of it. And you kind of got to see a bit of the body horror. Yeah, it's brutality, isn't it? Uh-huh. You know, human bodies are not pleasant to look at because it's like someone's cut the puppet strings. They don't look like the person you knew anymore. They don't look normal. There's something not not right about them. And a lot of movies gloss over that. And the idea that someone's a professional killer and that's their job, you know, I, th- I think seeing the way he kills, particularly the dictator and the guy at the start of Casino Royale, it really shows you just how cold and ruthless... And and hard Bond actually is, you know? And those sequences really portray that through many things, like the acting, the cinematography, the you know, the noir style of the first one, you know, is quite interesting. You've certain angled shots mm-hmm. sustained on people who have been strangled to death, all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um then you've got um my next one I, I quite like and it's partly, it's two reasons. It's because of the sequence itself being insane. But also, just like the name of the guy, Teehee. <laughs> like, I just love the fact that there's a bad guy called Teehee, you know? And so that's live and let die. And Teehee's obviously got that kind of gripper hand thing. Mm. And he's a big, massive guy as well. But um, that's that's at the very, very end, isn't it? So he's like an example of a really dedicated henchman. Do you know what I mean? Like he's one of those henchmen that he's like the last Nazis in the bunker. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, no matter what happens, he will do his job right to the end. But the, I like the fact that also it really kind of says a lot about the bond that Roger Moore was going to become as he went on because he throws him out the window and then it's just a big joke after that. So that sequence, I think, was almost like... That was the birth of the old, slightly older Moore Bond because the rest of Live and Let Die had comedy moments in it, but up to that point, Roger Moore was kind of a cool... He was a cooler, suaver version of Roger Moore's Bond. And then after that, he goes becomes the kind of hamming it up Bond. Yeah. The comedy, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm going to mention Necros once again. The whole... Just the whole thing, like... um, That whole bit on the cargo plane... And them like falling out the back and like holding out the shoe and all that. I just, <laughs> I, I find it. I, I tell you, the tension ramping up in that, it just almost becomes unbearable. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is one hell of a, a scene, a fight scene there. I mean, there's, it's it's absolutely insane. You're thinking, what would? It's one of those ones where you're thinking, how would I feel if I was one of them right now? Do you know what I mean, like, what would you, what would you be doing? What would you be thinking? You know. And I also love. I think an honourable mention to the name Necros. I mean, who calls their kid Necros? Do you know what I mean? I know what we'll call him. We'll call him uh, uh, Necros. 
you know, in relation to that which is dying or dead, you know? <laughs> yeah. Lovely image there, you know? Um, then you've got uh, the next one. Uh, I've got to mention Goldeneye and Trevelyan mm. on the the um, the the cradle. Yeah, I mean, what a, the thing is that was spy versus spy, and I remember sitting with you guys. Did we watch that film in person? Was that mm. one of the last ones we watched? No, or did we not get? It that? was we we yeah. stopped doing it around Moonraker after Moonraker was the last one. We, so. Well, I seem to I seem to remember. I must have said it myself in the living room or something, like when I was watching it. But I remember saying or thinking, "This is spy versus spy here." Mm-hmm. Like the the absolute. Maybe I said it on the cast, but I mean, it was for the first time I think you ever really thought Bond is facing another killer that's been trained exactly the same as he is, and it was just the the way they fought with each other was like two. It was the two. It was almost like the two best fighters in the world or something. I loved that. Fighting yeah. each other. I mean, absolutely crazy. Yeah. Um, and and then the only other one I was going to mention was Mister Hinks as well because Mister Hinks became an object of terror for me the minute he did that thing to that guy's eyes because that has got to be the worst. Like short of being burned alive, I mean that's got to be like the worst way to go. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean, or 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 whatever? Like you know, it's just just horrific beyond all description. And then that obviously on the train and all that kind of thing. But I think Gordon kind of took us through that. But Hinks really was like the kind of modern version of somebody like Teehee or Jaws, like that kind of you know, he's not a superhuman. I mean, obviously Jaws was kind of like supernatural at one point, like vanishing off the screen. But Hinks. Like, Hinks, I mean, women obviously must feel this way quite a lot because a lot of, I mean, generally speaking, women are shorter and don't have the same muscle mass as men on the whole, right? So you can imagine a lot of women go around and they must feel quite nervous sometimes, like if they were by themselves or, you know, men could be quite threatened. And imagine we had people around that were much bigger and stronger than us all the time, do you know what I mean? So I think Hinks kind of makes us feel that way. Men like that, we've all seen and been around men who are gigantic blocks of meat <laughs> who would rip us apart. Do you know what I mean? There'd be nothing we could do. Like Basically, like you know, if somebody like Hinks attacked the podcast or something like us for, it would take all four of us in a sustained effort. You know what I mean? Like of, of, of using weapons and probably like coming out the other end of it utterly battered to, to stop a guy like that. So I think I, I I just wanted to touch on the idea of Hinks and big these big brawly guys in the films that, that kind of make us feel a little bit small mm-hmm. and a little bit like what we would never survive against this. Do you know what I mean? Um, I, I just find that to be quite a fascinating idea. Yeah. Because he's not supernatural. Like you was Gordon was saying, they're throwing glasses, pots, everything like that. I mean you could you could stab Hinks and the you could stab him, do you know what I mean? You could it's gonna take a lot to get this guy down. It's gonna take like I mean, what would you have to do to him? Well, I think the most supernatural they got I mean, is that you're you're done anyway, so I'll just move on to mine. But one of my favourites is Jaws. I think um that Gordon, you briefly mentioned it as one of your kind of nominees. Uh for me the sequence with Jaws on the train is terrifying. It's that the moment when Barbara Back, I think, opens the cupboard and it's that kind of screech sound is the, the when Jaws... Because it was a nice romantic scene before that. You know, you're expecting they're getting ready to 
go to bed or whatever and it's all a bit calm the film's kind of slowed down a bit she just is getting ready brushing her hair opens the door and jaws is there and it just instantly cuts into this terrifying action sequence with the train fight with roger moore and um i really i really loved that uh i think you were kind of describing how he hinks can make you feel inadequate and powerless i think jaws is the embodiment of that and they'd done that in the 70s you know the way his hands grip roger moore's neck holding him up and he just looks he just looks you know he looks not like a child but he looks almost as powerless um which kind of really ratchet and that's the thing with that film i think they use jaws so well and that's why it's so such a shame that they didn't keep that up for moonraker because they added that comedy side to him that that, that kind of terror that he instills in mostly all the scenes he shows up in but for me that's the best they're obviously harkening back a fight sequence to from russia with love which gordon again you mentioned that would have been on mine as well uh the build-up to that scene is fantastic and then the 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 release of that insane brutal fight was kind of then the genesis for what they tried to do with all of the different fights on trains and in, in close quarters with Bond throughout the films up to Goldeneye, which is the other one, of course. And I'm glad it was mentioned before this one, just uh, because it's become ridiculous that that's the film I always go to. But the the fight with Trevelyan as well, that is one of my favourites purely. It looks like... Because I mean, it was the two of them. There was not that many moments, I don't think, where it was stunt doubles. Or most of it is Sean Bean and Pierce Brosnan and they re-choreographed it to hell and they look like they've been bat on the crap out of each other by the time they stop for that moment before he kicks the, the release to fall down. You know, the, it looks believable. The way they're, they're actually, they're out of breath. Um, you know, it reminds me of the sort of fights me and my brother used to have when we were kids. <laughs> like that sort of tumbling, like scratching, pulling, everything just like, <laughs> you know, just fighting over, you know, who beat each other at Mortal Kombat or whatever. Um, but that was kind of like, because it's like two best friends. It's that kind of, per- that, and I think that's why it always comes back to GoldenEye for me. That There's a personal thing with that. There's It's two best mates that have turned on each other. And I, that it's one of my favourite things about it that it has over most of the other films but that fight sequence is a f- brilliant way to end it uh, with the dialogue as well of course um, you know for England James for me and all that kind of stuff great stuff shout out though to- yeah because it's like Trevelyan always had a quip the way Bond always had a quip I found throughout oh, that film didn't he he matched them completely like that's what I love about it the, the interplay between the two is so quotable I mean it's I loved it yeah um so I think those would be my the ones I think of. Obviously, the odd job fight. I don't know if we mentioned that one. Did you mention that, Gordon? And and Goldfinger. No, I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, that's a, a good one. Another. It's another classic one of Bond having to use his wits because he can he can't beat a henchman physically. So that's a great one. I think the way that they cut the music for that sequence kind of adds tension. Um, I'm sure that in my memory, anyway, the music is cut for that bit, and it's literally just them and their feet as they're sort of circling around each other and yeah. he's trying to kind of like run at him and odd job shoves him and kind of smiles is obviously shot he realizes he's connery's really struggling with him it, yeah it's that's a great one um and it's the first of the really truly big the, the sort of mr hink style and jaws style henchmen the sort of really powerful villains so yeah there's been some great fights another a quick one uh for diamonds are forever there's not many th- good things i would say about that one 
But that film has a great fight sequence in the lift, which I thought was great, uh, great stunt work. And, and, and Connery as well being, you know, that's why a lot of the, the stuntmen liked him because he was willing to do a lot of it with so they could get him, you know, the camera get his face it's actually him doing a lot of that and it was a lot yeah. of work to do it and i agree yeah i think that's one of my favorites and similar to the one you mentioned steve if we're talking this sort of big scale sort of action and gunfight type sequences for kind of talking about them i love the you only live twice one Cer- certainly the best thing about that entire film the costume department's probably where the the, the sort of i think sometimes that the, the the uniforms look a bit naff on both sides bonds and the the uh, the villain's henchman but spy who loved me i think ups it um and i would shout out that to that um i think that the super tanker section is absolutely brilliant a great climax to that film so yeah i would uh, put that up there as um, the sort of big action sequence that you know the the, the explosions the, it's the the way they've caught it all uh, the, the madness of the entire thing is everything's exploding all the different troops fighting each other in the background but we're still focused on bond some great great camera work great storytelling and bond looks cool in that film he's got the the navy uniform so they they did well for roger moore i, I get the feeling roger moore was kind of not done so well with the, the costume department most of the films i always think he looks a bit a bit naff they they fixed it for the the, the dalton and brosnan years with the the black jumpsuits things like that but <laughs> Moore was, uh, I don't think his, he looked as good, but that film, tremendous fight sequence. So, yeah, a lot of great stuff. Um, trying to think of any that I've missed. Uh, I suppose we commented, I remember, in the, the podcast for um, On Her Majesty's Secret Service that, you know, Lazenby really did a lot of that stuff yeah. himself. And, um, and there was a lot of great action sequences and fight sequences. Um, I can't, nothing comes to my head straight away as to being number one, but you'd have to give it a wee a wee shout out. Yeah. Uh let's um is there any you feel weren't so good that weren't captured very well, uh, that you would nominate as a one that is your least favourite? Uh Steve, have you got any? I've got a couple that I think would come under again, it's not a case of worse, it's just, yeah, it's just not least, particularly good or yeah, not slightly flawed or something. Yeah. And one particular that comes to mind is the fight in the glass factory in Venice and Moonraker. Just because it seems, it just seemed like an excuse to smash a load of shit up. I mean, all that, all that happens in that fight is that a ton of glass stuff gets smashed. It was kind of style over substance. No one gets injured. There's no, if neither of them, despite fighting with glass, no one comes away with a scratch on them. Mm-hmm. And it just feels a little bit unnecessary. Nothing really happens. It just, it's just the. They happen to be in this location. They make a massive mess and a lot of noise. And then they walk off. And somebody probably thought, you know what? That would look really cool. And it does. You kind of you look at it and go, oh, yeah, yeah, I can, I'm fine. But it doesn't make a difference to the film. It's a bit unnecessary. Yeah, I would agree. And Have you watched just, The Raid? I've not, no. Right, okay. Uh, if you watch The Raid, it is impossible to watch that sequence and have the same kind of like visceral feeling because The Raid is... Oh, amazing choreography and violence and realistic the way it's shot. It looks like it, it, you know, it's not like little cutaways. A lot of it is just watching these actors going at it. So yeah, uh, that's that, it's it's hard for me to watch these kind of older fights like that and kind of wince the way I would when I watch something like the raid. Yeah, I suppose you could. Yeah, you kind of give them a pass. I suppose if it's older. Oh, films. exactly. That's yeah, true. That's the best true. they had at the time. I suppose. Yeah, yeah but it's it kind of shows what we've got today at least. But I, I suppose on that. 
um, one of the possibly most stupid fight scenes in the entirety of the uh, the franchise. And we're coming back to it again. It's Die Another Day, and it's the know, yeah. sword fights. Oh, I just, yeah. It's so... I mean, it's it's overly long. It's it just it's the ridiculousness of it, how they start with sort of fencing swords, and then suddenly they've got actual massive swords, and then suddenly they've got massive poles, and they're they're smashing their way through this country club, and it's the build up to it as well. I mean, first start, you, you you can't watch that scene without going, why is Madonna that? Why why is Madonna in this? What the actual? So that I mean that kind of distracts you, and then the. The um the scripting as well around it, where it's sort of the the lead up, and someone just asked the question about whether or not he can he can fence, and he goes, well, "I've been known to keep my tip up." So like, okay, you you got to get a dick joke in there somewhere. We get yeah, it right. Yeah, it's just formula. It feels exactly. It's if it doesn't particularly start off well, and then it just gets more and more stupid, and it's overly long. It doesn't. It could, it could have been half the length it was. And it wouldn't have impacted in the film. It didn't have to be there. It kind of it set up the the rivalry, if you like, between Bond and Gustav Graves. So it, it served that purpose, but it was long and it was unnecessary. And it felt another case of what haven't we seen Bond doing? Fencing, sword fighting. Mm-hmm. Let's chuck that in there because we've never seen it before. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Gordon. Any ones you want to talk about that you would feel are least favourite? Yeah. This was I absolutely. I hardly had to even think about this one. <laughs> I'm also going. I'm also going 2002. Die another day. Okay. Bond and Gustav Graves yet again. So it's not the not the sword fight, but the fight at the end, which leads to Graves' death on on the plane. Yeah. First reason is absolute CGI overload, and the pro, the, the the most. It's it's just pathetic. The whole thing with Graves having the. It's like his. His gadget, if you like, is like a super suit. It's like the the electro suit or whatever you want. He's like half Robocop, half um, Emperor Palpatine or something. Like he he has this big suit that controls everything. It controls the satellite. He can electrocute people without actually doing any damage to himself. So you could kind of see it coming. But it's it's the whole. It's a bit of a cheap throwback to Goldfinger. They've got right. Okay, fair enough. The plane's depressurizing. Everything's flying out of the plane, but it's. You just can't take it seriously. That's just where Bond's getting into. Oh, we've never seen Bond in this sort of situation before, you know. Yeah. And and then when see right at the death as well with that when there's the big hole in the side of the plane and Graves is like, ah, oh, two parachutes. Oh, not anymore. And he throws one of them out. So he's like, well, I've got one parachute left between the two of us. That's fine. And he's got Bond bit of the balls pretty much and he's just like time what he says to him like time to face your destiny or something like that and i think he's about to jump out of the plane it's like he it's the classic example of the villain stops for a set a few seconds just to rub it in and he, he doesn't want to just ensure he kills bond he thinks he'll give bond a bit of time just to sort of muck around and he gives bond a few seconds just to see the pretty obvious catch to activate Graves' parachute which Bond just pulls it and Graves goes flying out the plane. It's like you know, it's just typical kind of villain oversight, isn't it? Just Sounds uh, like lazy writing. Fran's favourite Yeah, it's again lazy writing. And just, uh, the CGI man, there's so much terrible CGI in that film and it just, it takes you right out of the film. It's it's just, oh, it's just absurd that, yeah, there's, there's, I don't think there's any others that really come quite Coast as bad as that. Yeah. 
Okay, okay. Fran, any least favourite ones you can think of? Oh, yeah, well, there's two. So there's um, the first one is Diamonds Are Forever when he gets into the gymnastic battle with the two women. Oh, right, yeah. Oh, God, no. I forgot about Bamber that. And Thumpy? Yeah. Bamber and Thumpy? Is the that thing that is, one? like, Bamber yeah, Thumper, yeah. Now, it's, I, I don't dislike it because it's, like, sexist or anything, really, in the sense that, you know, it's actually quite... Like equality based that men and women could fight each other and that they would they would have the same consequences for attacking each other or whatever but like it's more just the ridiculousness of them the ridiculousness of the attacks it, the, la- it lacks tension completely uh, lacks tension I mean yeah. Connor like, looks like he couldn't give a shit <laughs> I mean it's just it's just insane um, I just don't like it like and then the other one I had noted down was um, when he puts the capsule into the guy in Live and Let Die and the guy just goes flying out of the water and explodes. Uh, Remember that? He gets inflated into a big balloon yeah. and then blows up. So and there's no blood or guts in it. It's like an actual balloon just bursts. Like... <laughs> and the noise as well. It's uh-huh. just like a balloon. Uh, the noise is literally just like a, a balloon. What a crappy <laughs> way to kill off your final villain who I thought Mr. Big was a great fi- villain as well and that is just... Uh-huh. Oh. And Mr. Big... Because oh, Mr. Big them... became big. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, never thought that. But the struggle between them, like you're, Fran, obviously, see the struggle between them underwater. That was actually really well done. So they were building it up well, but it's just kind of that ending, isn't it? Oh, it's yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. But anyway, those two are the two, like, I don't really have much complaints about Bond f- fight scenes and things like that. Like, you know, but those two kind of stuck out in my mind as just being. Just annoying somehow. Do you know? What I, mean? like, I don't know how to describe it other than that. I mean, like the, uh, Bond has had some moments of utterly incredible, like brilliance when it comes to fight scenes. Like, do you remember the bit where in Doctor No, when Bond and his allies are attacking the flame tank? Um, what's the name of the What's the name of the ally that got flamed to death by it? Quarrel. Um, Quarrel. Yeah. I mean that there's an example of a scene where there's a kind of a battle going on, and then something horrific happens, and it really, you know, the you everyone feels so much sympathy for Quarrel, like what he went through, because that would be a horrendous death, you know. What I mean, and 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 you've got moments like that, you've got moments like the ones we've talked about earlier on, as well, you know, and and then you have these other ones that are just ridiculous, you know. Yeah. But you can forgive it. It's funny, isn't it? Because there's like a, it's like a tightrope that you walk between. I, I suppose certain things can be implausible and daft and retain charm, and there's other things that can that are implausible and daft and don't have charm. You know, it's kind of interesting that, isn't it? For me, um, as for one of my weakest ones has always been when I think of this category. Although you, the ones you guys have mentioned, especially the Gustav Graves one, that really is probably the worst. But the one I always think of is You Only Live Twice on the dock. I just think the way that it's shot lets it down. Again, it lacks tension. Bond's just kind of flailing about between all these henchmen and they're all kind of falling about around them. It doesn't look like they're really trying to get him, really. Um, and I, it doesn't help that Connery wasn't probably on his on his best. I don't think he looked like he was really giving it his all as well. But also the way that the pullout shot, it just looked... It's bizarre. There's a pillar at one point in the way, and it just look or something. There was something that blocked some of the actual scene, and it just—it's a bit of a disappointing moment for again an action scene when the films have done so well. When you think of Thunderball, like Steve mentioned, you know that 
you know, as much as the editing let it down a little because it was a bit too much, but the actual stuff underwater was great and unique. And then this, uh, you know, you only have twice. That was the formula there started to show and it, they kind of weren't pulling out the bag there until the end. But that midsection, mm, not great. Um, there's not many I can think of that are incredibly weak uh, fight sequences. Uh, other than that, it's the ones you guys have mentioned, I think. Can I take it? Gustav Graves. I always forget about that one. That's truly awful. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so... I mean, I'm thinking of final villain deaths. I don't know. It probably comes under the villain category. We can go into it more depth, but I don't really like, you know, the endings for... I think they could be hit and miss, and a lot of them, they've, they, the way you mentioned uh, Mr. Big Fran, I think, in Love and Let Die, that's one. For me, uh, Carver's death in Tomorrow Never Dies is a bit prolonged and silly. Um, it doesn't quite work. It wasn't as bad. It's not cringeworthy the same way Mr. Biggs is. Um, but yeah... Anyways, see Steve the Gustav Graves fight. Well, you mentioned that again. I I just thought I don't know if it's actually much worse than the fight. There's actually a fight going on the same time between Jinx and Miranda Frost, which I mean the one liners in that are (laughs) are just terrible. And it's the fact, although yeah, I mean you can I think Rosamund Pike's good in that film, but the dialogue sometimes it's like something that's Star Wars like. There's, there's a bit she says she says to Jinx, she's like, I can read your every move. That to me, that's like something out of Star Wars. I, that that's where they've just not really thought about the the dialogue. And again, it's just kind of lazy writing. And it's the whole way I think Lee Lee Tamahori or the editors must have thought they would have been clever, but they were jumping between the two fights. They kept cutting between the two mm-hmm. as if it was I don't know if they were just doing that because they could. That I don't know if that was supposed to work, but it just didn't work for me. And then, and obviously the, you know, it doesn't even see the way, see the way that um, the Jinx takes out Miranda Frost with the, I think the sword of the knife with the Bible, it, that seems over choreographed. It's like, it's kind of like Obi-Wan Kenobi and in, in A New Hope where, you know, when he like um, just goes motionless and lets Vader um, chop him down with the lightsaber. It's like she just kind of stops and like gives Jinx a chance to yeah. take her down. She's like, "Oh, that terrible line. Take that, bitch." You know? Uh, yeah, yeah. I just sorry. I just I had to get out of my system because I just thought of that. And well, that's maybe even worse than the. It's kind of good that it's, at least that's using like actual swords and not not a bloody spacesuit thing. But <laughs> it's it's it's. Equally as bad, no. We just—I suppose you could nail. I would like nail it down to just that—that that whole thing as a one or the two, those two fights because they are pretty much the same yeah, scene, like just inter- between them. intercuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that I think that covers the fight sequences of the franchise. We've covered a fair, uh, fair kind of swath of them. Um, mostly, we, I would say again, they're all fantastic. It's just the ones where they let it, they let them down a little. Uh, Dino Day, I think, has its fair share. Uh, it seems to be the one that, you know, I always looked as Diamonds Are Forever as the worst, but we keep coming back to Dino Day recently with the way that it's... it's See, I th- so many do you know, is it maybe, to me, because, I mean, obviously, we all, I think we all saw, like, there was kind of glimmers in Dino Day of things that that were good. And I think maybe Dino Day's maybe too... There's, there's like, there's occasional kind of 
glimpses of great things that pull up a notch, whereas Diamonds Are Forever is like too like consistently yeah, tonally tonally not in the right direction and like too camp. I don't know, but we'll, we can we'll, obviously yeah, we'll, we'll, we will have a podcast where we're all debating that very issue. Um and I think those two are fighting out for it. Uh for me it's probably the charisma of Brosnan just ekes it above Connery and Diamonds are forever, purely on the basis that you know Connery's not quite there for the for the kind of the actual story. Um whereas Brosnan it definitely isn't any strongest in that film, but I think his charisma helps, so that maybe is what it is for me. But yeah, that's for another podcast, guys. Thank you for joining me. We will end this one now. We'll be uh, and uh, of course, if you're listening to this, hope you enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, catch us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud, and check out the website. Thank you very much. We will see you next time. Bye bye.